This is Paul Schneiderman today on the 105th edition of Sports the Sports Untold podcast, uh, also on Rainier Avenue Radio with my special guest is Seattle Mariners clubhouse reporter on 710 ESPN Seattle, Shannon Dreyer. Um, hey, Lucius, I can't see Shannon. Okay, thanks. Um, Shannon has is, is graciously come back on my podcast for the second time. I last had Shannon as a guest on the 62nd edition back in late 2019. Uh, as I mentioned to Shannon before the show started, the world has changed a bit since then, for sure. Well, Shannon is, is a great authority on about everything involving Seattle Mariners baseball and Major League Baseball in general. I thought it'd be fun to catch up with Shannon a little bit and get her thoughts on the Mariners offseason and a whole host of issues today. And my podcast, formerly Sports and Stuff, is now Sports Untold. And my podcast is now on Amazon, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and, and other outlets. Uh, Shannon, I appreciate you coming back on Sports Untold on Rainier Avenue Radio. No problem. Great. Well, Shannon, you know, I, I, I didn't ask you this question last time you were on, but I thought it'd be a fun question to ask you is, can you tell us about your first ever interview as a clubhouse reporter and how did it go? I can't. I have no idea. Um, a very early one, I mean, it's a long time ago, um, an early one that has a, a, just a fantastic ending and, and kind of an epilogue to it, too. When I started out, if you know my history, I did not go to school for this. I won a contest, and I basically worked my way up into what I'm, I'm doing. Um, got my break, prepared myself for if that break ever happened. And by some miracle, it did. Um, I was with KJR at the time, and they started me off very slow, and they had me doing updates for John Clayton just like four hours a week, and that was it. And my ultimate goal was to get into baseball. That's I just wanted to get as close to the game as possible. And after being there for about a year, they uh, started taking me to the park with them. And I was basically uh, like a production assistant on their post-game show. And they eventually let me go into the clubhouse, and it was always with someone. And the first time they sent me into a clubhouse alone to get sound and, and to ask some questions, it was into an opposing clubhouse. And this is at the Kingdom. And it was a game that the Mariners had played against the Texas Rangers. And so I went into the opposing clubhouse ready to talk to someone I wasn't quite sure, got in there, and they, these were not the big luxury clubhouses that they have now. It right. was just a bunch of lockers and chaos in, in, in basically a closet. It was it was kind of nightmarish, to tell you the truth. And you get in, and the first thing I notice is everybody's got their jerseys off, so I don't know who anybody is. I don't have names on the back or numbers or anything like that. So I do a quick look around. Who do I recognize? Avon Rodriguez, Pudge. I, I know him. And he does have some uh, reporters that are around him. So I go around and I'm in the group and I'm listening and I put the microphone in. I've got the Morantz that is the size of a shoebox. You know, we now record everything on phones and things of similar size. And, you know, we had a, a strap of a, it was like carrying a purse, basically, the Morantz, a big, bulky microphone. I stick that in there. And reporters are asking questions and I'm listening, I'm getting the sound, and I realize I need to ask some questions too. And I start to ask Pudge a question and I, I get cut off by another reporter. And so I'm like, okay, you know, this is how it is. So I listen to the answer and I'm like, my turn. And I start to ask the question again. That same reporter cuts me off again. And I'm a little rattled by this at this point. Sure. And I, I, yeah, this is not good. 
And so again, patiently listen, start to ask for a third time, cut off by the same reporter again. At this point, I'm thinking, I can't do this job. I'm not aggressive enough. I'm getting walked all over with. And the next thing I know, Vaughn looks up at that reporter, and I don't know if you've ever been close to him or seen him, but he's got an intensity to him. He's got laser, you know, just his eyes can just like, you know, just absolutely bore through a person, looks up at the guy and says, the lady is speaking. And I took a deep breath and I'm like, wow. And so I ask my question and I'm very thankful and I get out of the clubhouse. And that was, it was a pivotal point because I was ready to turn around and walk out. I was not sure I could do this at that point. And years later, it was in Avon's final year and playing in the big leagues. He was sitting in the opposing dugout at then Safeco Field. And I saw him and I thought, you know what? I'm just gonna go tell him what that meant to me. And, and this was at least 10 years later. And I, I went over and I sat next to him, asked if he had a minute, and he said, sure. And I, I told him, I'm sure you don't remember this, but this meant everything to me. And I relayed the story to him. And he smiled and he said, and, you know, how are you doing now? He asked, you know, what do you do? What's your job? What is your path? And he could not, not have been nicer. And it was just, um, you know, just heartwarming that, you know, he didn't remember it, but he appreciated that he had impact and continued uh, interest at that. And it was just a really neat moment. But, um those early days were very, very tough. And in this job, particularly if you're a woman, you need advocates. And he was probably my first. You know, Shannon, excuse the quip here. This show is called Sports Untold. That is a great Sports Untold story, how Ivan Rodriguez had your back as a young female reporter. I, I just, that's just a terrific story. And it's neat that how years later you connected with him. So you just gave a heck of an answer to uh to an early interview that you gave so it it, it must you must have just felt it was so cool to have ivan rodriguez tell the other guy the lady is speaking come on i mean you must have just felt it must have been a really cool feeling yeah it was a feeling that i think everything's going to be okay and there would be you know all sorts of other instances and, and whatnot but you know, that was the toughest time. And there's a pressure in this job. If they tell you to go get an interview, you have to go get an interview. And you can't come back empty-handed. So, I mean, it was a desperate moment for me early on. And especially going in, perhaps not as equipped as somebody who had actually gone to school for this. I mean, I, I was doing going in a different direction at the time. And I, at the time was, you know, trying to make a career. And this is what I wanted to do. But, you know, at the same time was getting up at four o'clock in the morning to open a Starbucks so I could support, you know, trying to pursue uh, this career. So all of that kind of added up to never mind how intimidating a situation is for, you know, particularly back in the uh, in the 90s. Uh, you know, there it's, it's a lot. It, it's different right now. But um, it, it was huge and it meant the world to me. And I think I immediately recognized it and appreciated it even more as the years went on. Well, let me tell you something. I recommend that listeners go to my 62nd edition with Shannon Dreyer. Shannon had some great stories about the beginnings of your career and, and how you broke into the business. Feel free to share some more of those today as well. Hey, hey Shannon, a little change of subject. Uh, Paul Schneierman, the host of Sports Untold, in the 105th edition today, also on Rainier Ever Radio. Shannon, um, I, I, I know you're a baseball reporter, but you're a sports fan. Do you have any thoughts on the Kraken broadcasting team so far? <laughs> 
Unfortunately, I haven't really taken the time. I am so baseball used to be you would have an off season and I now call it the not so off season. Uh, and so I've been basically following them on social media and uh, I've been very intrigued about how they have incorporated an analytics uh, aspect to it and, and the way that they're reaching out uh, to fans and trying to educate fans on the sport as well. So that is something that I need to to get into a little bit more. I, I've heard interviews with the broadcasters, um, but I haven't really kind of sat down and, and listened to a game as of yet. Well, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts sometimes about how your colleagues on the crack and broadcasting team are doing. I'm enjoying the radio and TV team so far, and I'm one of these novice hockey people that's solely enjoying and, and learning the game. <laughs> um, Shannon, speaking of the Kraken, um, their team name is definitely getting a lot of, I guess, discussion. Uh, the Mariners played the Cleveland Guardians, formerly the Cleveland Indians, several times a year. Uh, what do you think of the uh, the new name of the Cleveland Indians, the Cleveland Guardians? It's probably not as catchy as a pro sports franchise name as the Kraken, is it? <laughs> I don't think you can do much better than the Kraken. I mean, there was immediate, you know, excitement and and just the marketing, the logos, and the colors, and everything else. They've knocked that out of the park. The Guardians, the thing that I, I appreciate about that is, um, A, they made the move, but B, again, and it's much more muted than what you see with the Kraken, but they, um, you know, the font and, and the lettering that they have, very similar to what it was before. And I think that, you know, when you, it's one thing to start anew, it's another thing when you have an established fan base and a history. And, and so I, I like the visual. I, I like uh, the G that they're using. I, I like the, the uh, print that they're using. Uh, it's uh, you know a huge undertaking. My understanding is their process involved the fans quite a bit in coming up with the name. Um, the Guardians, again, no, I don't think that is nearly as, as interesting or as exciting as the Kraken. Um, I believe it means more to the Cleveland community and that they're talking about the Guardians. I think of the bridge or the statues that they have in the city. And if that is something that I hope that they buy into because it's a wonderful part of our Midwest. And you think about how that was kind of the center of industry for such a long time in our country. And you think about the auto industries and everything that was built and and just, uh, you know, along those lines, the transportation and whatnot, that is uh, coming from the Midwest. I understand that a little bit. And I, I hope they are still rooted in that. And that is something that they identify with, you know, closely. Some wanted the team name to be the Cleveland Spiders, the renaming of the franchise. I saw that come up. Sure. And, and that would be history again as well. It's, you know, it's a tricky thing. And <laughs> Not really liking to encounter spiders. I think maybe we've been spared from seeing that kind of logo. You know, I'm not sure I want to see that on, on a cap or anything like as far as like an actual arachnid. Uh, you know, just uh, let let's just keep the bugs out of it as far as I'm okay. concerned. Fair enough. Go go with the go with the sea the mythological sea creature instead. You know? Sure. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. They're okay. far less scary. Gotcha. Like it. Hey, speaking of Cleveland, <laughs> Shannon, um, as part of your job, you traveled to many major league baseball cities and we always hear about New York and Los Angeles of course you know, a lot of Americans know what's going on in those cities uh can you mention a couple major league cities that are not maybe the highest profile cities or we've always enjoyed your trip to those cities and can you mention a couple fun things to see in those cities and Cleveland's on my mind specifically but um go ahead and well, Cleveland uh, is 
Cleveland has some of my best memories ever. Um, that is where we were stuck for four days and got snowed out four days in a row. Wow. Um, many, many years ago. And the first game, uh, it ended, I believe, with two outs in the fourth inning, so it wasn't quite official. Jose Lopez had just the most heroic at bat of all time, you know, fighting off pitches from Paul Bird to keep him from a no-hitter at that point. Uh, while well, the snowflakes are coming down, he kept pointing to his eyes, I can't see, I can't see. And so he is able to stay in there long enough until they call it. Yeah, and uh, then, you know, you were thinking, okay, well, we'll make this up tomorrow. You wake up tomorrow, throw open the curtains, and all you see is white. And for four days, they kept telling us, yeah, we think we're going to play today. So you kind of trudge through the snow, and the whole city had come to a stop. We're not, we're talking like three feet of snow. And you'd go to the park, and you'd look, and they would plow like left field. And as they moved the center and right, left field would fill in again. And it was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> so we were there for four days. City closed down. The hotel was uh, attached to a little mall, so there were a few things that were open, a couple of restaurants to open. There were a lot of hot cocos with other things in them in the lounge of the hotel next to the fire. And it actually kind of turned out it was the beginning of the season, and you just kept running into everybody everywhere. It was a lot of fun. But Cleveland would not be at the top of my list to visit. But if you do, there are some neat things. Uh, downtown uh, there's a great alleyway that uh, is just right outside of the basketball and the baseball arenas, and there's some fantastic restaurants in there. Um, they do have a, a Michelin star uh, kind of celebrity chef in Cleveland, and, and a couple of the restaurants are there, and uh, kind of a neat place to, to, to go out uh, right there. And again, as I said, you know, with the bridge and uh, you know some of the buildings, it looks so different than it does. You know, obviously, Midwest, much older than the the um than where we are so you get uh, just different architecture it's on the lake the rock and roll hall of fame museum is there that's kind of fun to been see. there great place yeah you, you realize that rock stars are, are just they're tiny <laughs> they are all very they have all the costumes and they are all very small but um that's kind of neat but you know some of the more interesting cities kansas city is an absolute favorite of all of ours great town and uh learned that my first time and, and wouldn't have known it um, the stadium is a little bit far out, but I love it. It's one of my favorite parks. It's pristine. Uh, they redid it about five, six years ago, I believe, and the fountains are still there, but it, it's a big open stadium, and uh, it just I, I love going there. I don't care if it's 110. Uh, that's what it is. That, it feels like what that part of the country should feel like at that time of the year. Uh, and then the city itself, you hear about the barbecue, which is fantastic. You can go to a different place or two every day and have something wonderful. The Negro Leagues Museum is there, and that is a must-go every single trip. I, I'm, we've, I've been there once a year for the last 20 years, and I, I don't think I've ever missed a trip to that. The opportunity to talk to Bob Kendrick there, who has uh, taken care of everything there as a historian. I did get to be, meet Buck O'Neill my first year, which was wow. one of the highlights uh, of my career. But um, just the stories and the realizations and they're able, it's very small, but it puts you there. It puts you in the time, and, and it's just wonderful. Jazz Museum is there, too. Just a neat, neat city. There's a lot to do in Kansas City. Uh, I love Chicago. That's not a hidden gem. Now, Detroit I have found very interesting, too. It's a city that's been going there for about 20 years, and we stay out in one of the many beautiful suburbs they have there, but to watch the city and I root for Detroit. It, it's been trying hard. It has been building. It's been a slow build, but it has 
there's a good kind of underground pop-up restaurant scene there. Um, the architecture again is just absolutely, you know, just unbelievable and just the story behind it and seeing it really just try and pull itself up. Uh, I always appreciate going there as well. Stadium's pretty neat too with the, uh, the Tigers and whatnot. Um, and those are just a few. I mean, I, I like just about everywhere uh, that we go. Um, Tampa's got a horrible stadium, but I kind of fell in love with St. Petersburg of all places, just kind of sleepy and tropical. And I like that. And Cuban sandwiches are out of this world and you get the best hamburger in the league there as well at a bar that is owned by some former umpires. That's a lot of fun. So, I mean, we've got spots everywhere, but uh, those are all ones that kind of surprised me when I first started traveling. Love it. You know, Shannon, you, you, you kind of sound like a baseball Rick Steves kind of going through all these these fun <laughs> things to see in these baseball seasons. Maybe you, maybe, you, maybe you could break into something new as part of your career here. Yeah, you really gave a great uh, kind of tour, tourist advisor. I, I, been, I spent some time in Kansas City and Cleveland, and I haven't spent any time in Detroit. I haven't been in the airport a couple of times, but I enjoyed your insights about uh, some of the major league cities you go to. So we talk about different stuff on Sports Untold, as you can tell. So, um, Shannon, I, I want to kind of fast forward here i was going to bring this up um later but i think the timing's probably good for the subject so i just read a new york times article this week about mini minosa and he was a 13-time all-star and the article doesn't just talk about mini it talks about how there's a new golden days special category in the baseball hall of fame for players that played i believe in the 50s and 60s there's also a new early baseball category all these players were black players and were allowed to play in major league baseball before integration so I got a couple of questions for you. Uh, by the way, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal have underrated sports sections. Both those papers, I, I think, are kind of fun to read that the sports sections are good. Um, so my, a couple of questions for you is, what do you think about the Hall of Fame trying to expand the number of people coming in and maybe adding some new categories of consideration? And what do you think of the 2020 Major League Baseball decision to recognize several of the, of the Negro Leagues as being on par with the AL and NL Leagues in terms of assessing baseball records. So i got a couple of questions for you that I thought about when I was reading the Mini Minosa article in the New York Times the other day. I, I think it's, it's, it's way beyond time that that happened. Uh, it's, it's, I, I think um, You can choose to, we are Major League Baseball and this is what we are, but you cannot say that unless you include the Negro Leagues that uh, that is everything that baseball has been in this country. Um, the Negro Leagues were professional. It, it were professional leagues. They were professional teams. Um, they played real schedules. They are an, just a, a huge part of the history of the game, let alone the history of this country. I mean, that that's something totally different that the Negro Leagues need to, to be acknowledged for. But um, these were real baseball players. These were real baseball players that were on par with what was playing in the major leagues. These were real baseball players that should have been playing in MLB baseball at the time and were not allowed to play in MLB baseball. So to exclude them from that, uh, I, I think was wrong. You know, was Josh Gibson the home run, the true home run king? These are things that they've got, you know, experts and historians 
figuring out right now. And I think ultimately we will find that the records are not going to um, really impact what has already been established because a lot of the games that were played in the Negro Leagues were barnstorming games and they did not count as official season games. So uh, I think there are you know, folks that kind of get up in arms about this shouldn't count, but a lot, you know, absolutely records, absolutely your stats were part of the major leagues. You better believe they were. And I think that the more that we learn of the history of these players, I mean, if you love baseball, you need to know about these things. Uh, the stories are absolutely fantastic. It's an absolute you know, asset to the game. And for far too long, uh, that part of the game was um, just undersold, undertold, I think. And, and it was. I mean, these are all, you know, we know, most of what we know is because of stories that, that were passed. And it's just... Um, it's such it, it's such a rich part of this game that to include it, you know, it wasn't going anywhere and the stories were always there, but it deserves that acknowledgement within the game. So for that to happen, uh, to me, it was finally because you know that it's it it should not have occurred in the first place, and uh, you know they deserve this recognition and it means a lot to a lot of people. So the, it's righting a wrong, I think, in putting it back as acknowledged one of the major leagues. Um, as far as the Hall of Fame goes, they've done this for a long time. It, it's, it's kind of, I think, just basically a catch-all to make sure that you get as many that should be in. And now there's a lot of debate as who should be in. Are you a small hall person or are you a, a larger right. Hall of Fame? Um, and a lot of times, you know, I, I think that when it comes to numbers, I, I think that that is easy now. I think we can break down this game to an extent where you can compare people even throughout era, eras if you do the work that in some aspects, I, I think that, well, why aren't we just throwing all the numbers into a computer and coming out, you know, setting a mark and you're a Hall of Famer or you're not. Um, but there are also... Uh, places in the Hall of Fame for, for people that were not necessarily players. You know, you've got managers, you've got executives and things like that. So a lot of the times these extra um, votes and, and, you know, this era committee and that era committee are, are mainly uh, catching those things. Uh, I am all for continuing to vote. And as long as there is a human aspect of it, then I don't think it should just be the numbers. And I know that there's a lot of debate over should this player, you know, a steroid player, a controversial player, uh, be in it. And uh, if you're going to have humans and you're going to have an actual vote, then I, I think you should be allowed to vote for whatever you believe fits that criteria uh, that they have set out there. Otherwise, you know, and things get a little bit ugly now at Hall of Fame time. And, you know, you may not like Kurt Schilling, but his numbers were this. Well, that's fine. And, but there are these, you know, set of instructions in voting for it, which are very non-specific, and the hall won't get aggressive about define, further defining it. But as long as there are humans voting for it, then there should be some aspect of a very educated, a very researched opinion should matter. And if it doesn't, then, well, then there should be no voters, and they should just spit out the numbers. So uh, to me, you know, these eras and these committees, I think it's important that you have them because they can go back, and you can kind of reverse then work those numbers in and you take it you see a different have a different look at these players for better and for worse for some 
but you know, there's no question that there are some that have been left out that should be in. And uh, Buck O'Neill, who I, I mentioned a while ago, is on this ballot right now. And if they don't get it right this time, <laughs> that it's, I, I can't imagine they don't get it right this time. But you know, thanks to these committees, we do have a chance to go back and take a look and say, yeah, we didn't quite get that right. Let's do it again. I think your points are, are very valid. And Shannon, I, I want to ask you, you mentioned some of the steroid players, or I should say players linked to steroids. Some of these cases are a little fuzzier, um, depends on the particular player and, and what may have occurred. Where, where do you stand overall? I've asked a couple other guests this question on, uh, say, Barry Bonds and McGuire and Sosa. Are, do you take the view these these were just great players, and when you take aside the steroids, they still were superstars, you take the view that, hey, these were violations they shouldn't be in. What's the Shannon Dreyer view on some of these uh, steroid cases? Well, I'm going to go ahead and point out that I'm not a member of the BBWAA, so I don't vote. So this is just my opinion. If I did vote, um, if there was, I would not, I'm very much against, well, there were a lot of inferences that this person did it, or this person looked like he did it. Um, But if there is enough proof, then they're not in my Hall of Fame. I'm not going to go out on that limb and say they would have been without or they were before. Uh, if they were, and it's tough because at times, you know, there are players where, well, it wasn't necessarily breaking a rule. Again, if you're allowing humans to put their input into this, I'm not good with that. If you know that's wrong and being around players that that impacted, I mean, not only did they get records, but these players were, you know, taking contracts from people who weren't doing it and, and making those players' lives a little bit tougher as well. So, um, but it, it's got to be, there's got to be solid proof that this person has done it. I'm not going to, I, I'm very much not comfortable. That guy obviously was doing steroids. Well, no, he obviously, you know, there are ways. We are seeing that players are getting bigger and stronger. I don't think that you can just look at a player and say this guy is definitely doing it. All right, Shannon, I'm going to have a follow-up, but one follow-up on this. How about a guy like Roger Clemens? He was acquitted in the criminal proceedings against him. Use your common sense. <laughs> okay. I put on the legal hat on that one, Shannon. I couldn't help it. Not good enough. He's, if he's having stuff mailed to his wife, that's close enough for me. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> well, your your, opinion, your opinions are, are held by many. Shannon, I want to move to a few other subjects here. Um, and I'm going through it. I, I don't follow the Mariners or baseball as closely as you do, the day-to-day stuff. And I'm, I'm a little completely out of my league talking to you with your knowledge base. But I, I go through the, the free agent list. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. It gets kind of overwhelming, like who may sign who and what team may get so-and-so. You go to different blogs and different websites. It's 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 overwhelming. Um, so I could ask you so many questions about this, but let me get in a couple, and I want to get your input here. Um, let's take Marcus Simeons and Chris Bryant. If the Mariners signed Simeons and had him play second, would it make sense to move Toro to third? Or if they signed Chris Bryant and he played third, would it make sense to keep Abraham Toro at second? Get, give me your take on the possibility of Simeons and Chris Bryant coming to Seattle. Those two kind of fascinate me, those two names. Well, Simeon is definitely a, a target of the Mariners. And I believe Bryant is too. They they had heavy interest of him at the trade deadline. And uh, I, I would imagine they still do right now. I think the ideal situation 
situation is you get both a second baseman and a third baseman, and Toro is one of your bench players. I don't know that that's the direction they're going in, but that is is what I would do. Um, they have Jerry has set himself up with a roster that he has to have the flexibility that you know they can go in so many different directions right now, and with the expectation next year that they will compete and, and should compete at a high level and what I think is a fair expectation, they should make the postseason. Uh, I think um, if you can go big at both positions, that would be fantastic. That doesn't necessarily mean signing free agents at both. You could trade. There's been a lot of talk about fire sale in Oakland right now. Wouldn't Matt Chapman look great at third base for a couple of years while you're waiting for Noel V. Marte? Um, so, you know, they, they could go in any number of directions. If they get Simeon, fantastic. Put him at second. Uh, keep going for a third baseman. If you're able to get a third baseman either in free agency, um, Eduardo Escobar would be another good short-term option. You could probably do a two, three-year contract with him. And again, be ready for Noel V. Marte. Uh, I would be looking probably to improve both positions, in which case then you've got you know, a pretty good utility player that you can continue to develop. And I don't know that I would also, um, shouldn't say this, because I'm going to say this on my own podcast next week, and I haven't as of yet. Um, when they traded for Toro, the Mariners were immediately approached by other teams that were thinking that they were going to flip him because it didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, if he's attracted to other teams, too, he might be somebody that can help you get that starting pitcher that you're looking for. If you've got a team that is looking for young players that are still inexpensive but major league ready, he still fits that mode. So I don't know how this is going to shake out. But if you need to put him at third, you can put him at third. If you need to put him at second, you can put him at second. That's not optimal. He's still learning that position. If you had another year where, hey, we're still figuring things out, we're still growing young players, I'd feel pretty good about that. But next year is the year that they're really supposed to go. So I, I would prefer to see a little bit more established options in either place. Are labor issues co- going to complicate free agent signings this season, Shannon? Uh, we're not seeing it as of yet. I mean, the free agent market has started out kind of fast and furious, more so than I think people expected. Now, it's been on the starting pitching side, and it's, you're seeing teams not taking any chances and some big names flying off the board already, which I think is a little bit of a surprise. Jerry DePoto didn't seem to think it was a surprise, and I don't know that Verlander uh, and... Um, Snygard, Snygard, I think. Got Syndergaard. Right? Syndergaard, sorry. Syndergaard. I don't know that Syndergaard and Verlander were targets for Jerry DePoto. Eduardo Rodriguez would have uh, been great. But, um, yeah, I, I think that uh, what we're going to see is we are probably going to see a lockout, which means everything stops. And you're going to see the free agency in a much smaller, you know, compressed at the end. And we, what, what is interesting is in years past, we've seen – most of the big names kind of go in a two-week period in January, late January, or February, or early February. Uh, now we're seeing some of them sign pretty quickly. So uh, it's uh, it's tough to see what the approach the free agents are taking if they would rather. And but we're also seeing big deals thrown at them right now. That they'd be insane to turn down. So it's going to be different. So it's already impacted it. And I think the biggest impact that you will see is if we get to December two and there's a shutdown. 
it's going to be fast and furious when it reopens. Very true. Shannon, two ex-Mariners are getting some attention in the free agency market this year. Nelson Cruz and Chris Taylor. Do you see any chance we could get one of the aforementioned back or both of them back? No chance with Nelson Cruz. We love Nelson Darn. Cruz. Yeah. It's um, in some ways a shame that they didn't keep him through the rebuild. Uh, I sometimes wonder if he could have helped speed things up a little bit, although three years is pretty quick, especially when one year was you know two a uh, two month season, and absolutely you're not going to find a finer finer person in that clubhouse. But um, they're not going to hold a spot at you know limit the designated hitter spot to just the designated hitter. They need that spot to rotate other players through. Uh, what I see is they probably pick up another outfielder, uh, and, and then it's you've got a fourth outfielder that is not like so much a fourth outfielder, but an actual contributor, and you're using that DH spot to get Mitch Hanniger days off again because that worked out very well this year. And if Kyle Lewis is some form of healthy, he's probably going to need DH days too. So you can't bring in a DH that is only going to be able to DH, and unfortunately that's what Nelson is right now. Uh, Chris Taylor is a possibility. I don't think he is at the top of their list, but I think that is one that they will monitor. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see what he is going to get because he's in his early 30s right now. He's coming off a season. He had the postseason uh, heroics, um, but he, he was not as good at the plate this year as he has been in the past. But he does have that versatility that Jerry DePoto absolutely you know, values. So he, I would imagine, is of interest. Any shot the Mariners could get maybe a Max Scherzer or a Clayton Kershaw or a Marcus Stroman or a Mayan Fantasyland? <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's funny. Uh, if you, we had Jeff Passan on the station on 710 about a month ago, and he said the Mariners should go all in on Max Scherzer. And at his age, it's going to be the short-term, very high-dollar amount. But with what we're seeing with the two Tommy John aces, Going for $25 million, that uh, just, you know, what shares are looking at, 30, 35, even a two, three-year contract, that's a lot. What, what's got me nervous about that, and I, I think, you know, it probably was that they had the short season last year, and it was getting toward the end of the season, but he didn't make it through the postseason. And to me, I would have questions. You know, you, he's getting up there in age. Uh, it probably wasn't anything, but when you're putting out that kind of uh, dollar amount, then I want to know more. Uh, when Verlander was still available, I would have taken Justin Verlander over Max Scherzer. Verlander has had the surgery. It's happened. That 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 ligament is snapped. It's been fixed. He's ready to go. Um, and I'm not quite sure what's going on with Scherzer right now, although I'm not hearing as much concern around baseball for it, but that's just me. I, I think Stroman, is, Str I know Stroman is somebody that they've liked for a long time. I would imagine they make a run at I'm going to, uh, Paul Schneider, I'm going to Sports Untold, the 105th edition with uh, Clubhouse ESPN reporter of the Mariners, uh, Shannon Dreyer, ESPN Seattle. Shannon, I'm going to back up with two questions. These are two of my favorite questions. I've been asking guests these questions. It's about, it's about late 2019. Um, I want to ask you who's a living sports figure you would love to interview and have a conversation with, and who's a deceased sports figure in history you would have loved to have interviewed and had a conversation with. If you want, i give you a few names I've received from guests if you want to hear a couple names yeah but, sure okay well here here's a few answers i receive on the living sports figure question this, these are just my two favorite questions i can't help but ask them um kenny anderson former nba player answered joe montana 
your colleague Dave Sims answered Sandy Koufax, Michael Jordan's name has come up, Serena Williams, Simone Biles, Charles Barkley, Tiger Woods, Bill Russell, Willie Mays, Grosby answered Floyd Merriweather. Uh, one really interesting answer I got um, well, that actually, that was for the deceased sports figure question. Well, we'll start with the living one first. I, I want to get your take on uh, who's a living sport. It could be a manager, an owner. Who would you select, whether in baseball or outside of baseball, who would you just love to have a sit down with and just pick their brain? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> but but then the deceased is a lot easier. Well, let's go with the deceased first. Um I've received Dean Smith, Walter Payton, Hank Aaron, Muhammad Ali, um, the famous attorney Alan Dershowitz answer. He loved to interview Josh Gibson, one of the famous Negro baseball players. Here's another answer I got that's unique. Mark Pattison, former UW football player, former NFL player. He's a mountain climber. He answered Sir Eben Hillary, one of the first people to climb Mount Everest. Mm. So um, I've got some just great answers. So who's a deceased sports person in history you would have loved to have a sit down with? Well, I was going to go Ali on that one. Okay. Um, just, just fascinating. I was in the clubhouse when he came through. I want to say in two thousand four, in spring training, and uh, that was one of the few where you just you feel it in the room. It, it just it, he he didn't say much, but the presence you absolutely felt it. Uh, I think it would be amazing to um, sit down with him. Uh, and I'd also throw in Satchel Page into that. I, I, Great name. Yeah, I, absolutely. Um, and on the living side, this is terrible because it's one that I can have. Um, we can get back to it. He, well, no, it's, okay. it's, I, I've got one, and it's one that I've had and I can continue to have. But Ichiro is one of my absolute favorite people to talk to. Um and again, he sometimes has that presence as well, which is really something. But a uh, fascinating person, different way of looking at things, incredibly thoughtful. Um, really enjoy talking with him. Ian Furness answered Russell Wilson that question. Kind of similar. You both cover the respective teams, so that that's interesting that you, you mentioned Ichiro. And I'm sure you're happy you got in the Mariners Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, um, you know, that obviously was a no-brainer. Um but um, he's been so fun to watch this year, and, and we, he, is, um, he is a coach with the team. He does not travel with the team, and when the team's on the road, he is at the field every day, and we were at the field, and we had to do road broadcasts from home this year, and every day we would see him go out there and go through his routine and, and do his running and do his stretching and play catch, and when there were rehab guys there, he would do their routines with them. And uh, he, it, to the point where when there were some pitchers that were rehabbing, he would play catch with them. And he decided that the pitchers would be more catch with them as a catcher. So he, he ordered all the catching gear and started actually catching uh, them a little bit in the bullpens as they were coming back. And one of the neatest things to see was because let's remember that this group of Mariners right now, for the most part, didn't play. He was not a teammate of theirs. And for a lot of them, he was somebody they looked up to and watched when they were growing up. So there's been some separation there and there's some awe. Um, he would have conversations with guys. We'd look down on the field and, uh, you know, you would be looking, uh, he'd be out there talking uh, to a reliever and you're like, what are Ichiro and Eric Swanson talking about for 45 minutes? And just, just not even a hitter. And, 
talked to Eric about it, and he just said it's one of the best conversations I've had in my life. And, and a lot of we were a lot of just talking about life and a lot of the things. But uh, it's great to see the appreciation, the dedication of each hero, and the commitment to these young players, but also the appreciation. It's been so fun to watch. It's inevitable he'll be in the Baseball Hall of Fame in a couple of years. Shannon, um, speaking of the Mariners Hall of Fame, do you think Kyle Seeger has a case to be in one day? There's, I think, 10 Mariners in there, including Dave Niehaus. Do you think Seeger has a good case to get in one day? Yeah, I mean, they've, they've called him a future Mariners Hall of Famer for a while. And uh, you know, look at a 10-year Mariner player, and he is you know, on the top of most uh, of the list on the Mariners. So uh, I think that he is somebody that uh, we'll see. It's unfortunate that, you know, like Felix, we didn't see him in a postseason as a Mariner. That's tough, but uh, he was a, a huge part uh, of so much that went on with trying to get this team to where they are right now. And, I think anytime you have a player that you basically saw grow up in the organization and he did, there's a little something extra there. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we saw him there someday. I hope so. Can I get two more questions with you, Shannon? Is that okay? Sure. Great. Um, speaking of Kyle Seeger, what do you think of the decision by the Mariners to not exercise his option? I think it made a lot of sense. Uh, I, I think that, um, unfortunately, one of the things is, is he kind of – hit more home runs and got more plate appearances. His number went up. The contract had escalators in it, and it went uh, up to $20 million. It could have been anywhere from 15 to 20 And uh, that's that's a big chunk of change right there for, for that player. Um, I, I think that he meant so much to them in terms of leadership. You, you saw that in the final day from his teammates, a lot of tears. Uh, when he left, but I, I think that one of the biggest things in kind of moving on at this point was even if he were going to pick up that option, it was going to be just one year, and it, it's time to get something going at that position moving forward with a younger player or a player that you can have there for two to three years. So uh, along those lines, uh, you know, it's a tough move. Um, I think they have an opportunity to you know, upgrade in production a little bit there. Uh, and, and I think that's important, but um, it just was not a good fit for one year. Where do you think he's going to end up, Seager? Any predictions? No. I know the Rangers are looking at his brother really closely right, right. now, and uh, Kyle has always been a Ranger killer. They that would, you know That might be a little bit of intrigue if they were able to get both Seager brothers there. Um, Somewhere back east, I think, he, uh, especially if, um, I don't know if the team is going to look at him uh, like a con contending team, if they're going to look at him absolutely every day. He played every day. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I know that uh, he's had some interest, you know, in, in being a little bit closer to home uh, on the East Coast, if you see something there. So, um, I don't know. I think this is one of those ones that will be a little bit of a later a later signing, but I maybe keep your eye on Texas. We'll find out. We'll find out. Well, here's my final question for you today, Shannon. It's been a lot of fun having you back on Sports Untold, my podcast also on Rainier Avenue Radio. What is Shannon Dreyer's favorite sports movie? Oh, okay, there are two. I know you have an acting um, background too, so. <laughs> there are two, and I have personal connections to both, which okay. has a lot to do with it. Um, Field of Dreams. And uh, I, my mom is from Iowa and my dad is from Indiana, which might be a hint as what my other favorite is. Um, 
and I grew up mostly in Illinois. So uh, just uh, this, the, the, we literally had a cornfield in our backyard when I was growing up. And so the possibility that there could be ghosts of baseball players out in the cornfield, I absolutely buy into that. That absolutely could happen as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Those are things that you thought about, uh, you know, the hot summer nights and the fireflies and everything else. And we played, you know, out there. So that, that had uh, just huge meaning along with the message. I mean, it was a feel good. If you love baseball, uh, you know, everything you love about the game, I think was probably Great movie. that movie. But the, the nearest and dearest thing to me in that movie is at the very end, as they're getting ready to roll credits, as they pan away from the field, um, you see cars driving out to the field, and they get smaller and smaller, and all you see are little lights driving out to the field as they pan further and further back. Uh, my grandparents were driving one of those cars. They uh, lived in Dubuque, Iowa at the time, and what this is before you know, all the CGI and, and just you know filling in the blanks in the movies. They actually needed cars to drive out there. So the production assistants went to you know the clubs and churches and whatnot, and hey, if you're not doing anything on Sunday night, drive your car out into the middle of the cornfield. We could use your help. And so they're in one of those cars, and, and that means everything to me. Uh, the other is Hoosiers, which is an absolutely beautiful movie and that movie just uh, uh you know just pulls at the heartstrings for me the gym looks like the gym that uh, my elementary school had um you know just the fall scenes or everything that i love you know the plowed under fields uh, the landscapes everything i loved about the midwest that i see in that film and then the actual story is my dad grew up in fort wayne indiana he's told me those stories you know well before the movie i've heard those stories and, and so that uh, movie means everything to me and to hear that they actually uh, put together there was about an hour of deleted scenes uh edited scenes for for time that were taken out of it they've actually put it all back together i didn't know they that get yeah they had a one-time only at the gym. You can visit the gym. It's like a Field of Dreams type situation. You can visit the Hickory Gym. And uh, they had a one-time lottery. It was like a $5 ticket. 200 people got to go in and watch the film at the gym. And it was the only time that they were going to show it, um, the full, you know, putting it all back together. And uh, so now they're... Now they're looking at actually, can we can we legally get this? Can we get the rights to it and, and redistribute the entire film the way it was meant to be seen, which will be over three hours. But I'm like, oh, heck yes, go for it. And by the way, Gene Hackman, who played the coach in that movie, has re retired from acting about a decade ago, completely got out. You know, there's so many actors and actresses that go in. I think we, I think we talked about this on my show last time, that, that, that keep acting until the day they go. But Hackman got out mm -hmm. quite a few years ago, so... Well, those are two great movies. Well, Shannon, thank you so much for coming back on Sports Untold. Always have fun chatting with you and have a great baseball offseason. And um, great to have you back on my podcast. Hey, appreciate it. Always fun to talk with you, Paul. You too. Thanks, Shannon. Stay safe.